Blog Talk Radio. participants admitted as a next-generation model ACO by the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. It's experiencing strong growth, was nation-leading in its first performance year, and has logged five years of successful operations. National ACO is a physician-owned, operated, and governed ACO, is leading innovation in value-based health care, alternative payment models, and population health management. Positioning itself for the scaled assumption of risk under the next generation ACO model, National ACO is in a capital raise. Accredited investors interested in more information, check out the details at www.nacomso.com. Welcome, everyone. I'm Greg Masters, your producer and moderator, known to some on Twitter as At2HealthGuru and the publisher of ACOWatch.com. I'm joined in the virtual studio by National ACO co-founders, Dr. Andre Berger, CEO, and Dr. Alex Foxman, President and Chief Medical Officer, respectively. And now for today's special guest, June Simmons, President and CEO of Partners in Care Foundation, whose rather bold mission statement notes, changing healthcare systems, changing communities, changing lives. Partners in Care Foundation was founded in 1997 by its board and its current president and CEO, June Simmons. Prior to creating Partners, June held executive positions at the Visiting Nurse Association of Los Angeles, VNALA, and as its president and CEO, managed VNALA's sale and patient and staff transition. She kept the foundation's values and principles continuing its legacy of in-home social support services as Partners in Care Foundation, where she broadened its scope of innovations and services for the 21st century. Jean Simmons is nationally recognized for her leadership in the administration of healthcare organizations since founding Partners in Care in 97. She's led the organization's pioneering role in developing and scaling evidence-based care models, leading to innovative and effective innovations for the management of chronic conditions, the challenges of aging, and better coordinated care to improve health care outcomes. So with that introduction, Drs. Berger and Foxman, over to you. Help us get to know June, her work at Partners in Care Foundation, and her take on the state of the accountable care industry. June, I am so happy. I can't tell you how happy I am. To have you on this call, I, I got you. Got to know that I'm one of your biggest fans. Um, I think you're doing amazing work, and I think you have tremendous amount of uh, information and ideas to share with us um, to make us all better. And so, uh, having said that, I can't wait to dig in. Um, I guess one of the first things I'm going to ask you before we get into some of the nitty gritty about 
the work you are doing now and have been doing um, over the last few years is, can you tell us a little bit about how you kind of got the evolution you went through to get from, let's say, um, the VNA into the kind of evolution of partners in care um, to make it the organization it is today? Well, thank you for the um, the opportunity to talk about the these issues with you. You're such an esteemed uh, medical leadership team. I know your care has had such great results, and of course, our dream is to integrate uh, top quality healthcare and uh, home and community-based services, a whole person, and uh, self-management, how people live at home. So. I, I began long ago working at Huntington Hospital and uh, was the developer of their social services and eventually managed their uh, patient flow function. So I was very interested in seeing people who came into the hospital who really should it should have been avoidable, and then helping uh, look at how people were to leave the hospital safely and seeing the cliff it represented and watching them often at risk of getting in trouble. So I had a long history with uh, with those issues and with broad sense of choice in medicine also interested in late life care and enhanced uh, patient and family choice so um, what happens at home has been a long-standing interest of mine so it was natural for me to go to the visiting nurse association from the hospital executive team and then uh, out of the visiting nurse's to uh, found an organization that was interested in uh, new models of care because uh, we, we view the, uh, the things that happen at home that are not things that require skilled care but are really survival issues and management of health. Uh, we view those as a missing specialty in health care. Someone needs to be the eyes and ears in the home. And so we were very interested in uh, enhancing what happens outside of medical care settings, outside of the office, outside of the ER, outside of the hospital, outside of the nursing home, and trying to prevent what we think we see a lot of in America, which is too much care too late. So we're very interested in uh, building out models that help catch people at key points in their health trajectory when they're first diagnosed with chronic conditions where they can really live differently and get a better result over time for themselves and those that care for them uh, at the point of hospitalization or multiple ER and then at the point of frailty where they're at risk of nursing home. We're interested in modifying those points of care in sustainable cost-effective ways that are complementary to but are not actually clinical interventions. They're, they're um, consumer empowerment, kind of whole person coaching and uh, supportive resource interventions. So we've been evolving for quite a while now, almost 20 years, building those out, establishing proof of concept, uh, building partnerships and demonstrations. So now I think medicine is more welcoming. Here we Here we are. You have me on this important show so it's it's exciting to me to see that level of interest and support from leaders in the field like you so june i love i really love the partners in care foundation mission statement and i just want to read it to shape the evolving healthcare system by developing and spreading high value models of community based care and self management and that really says a lot 
can you describe a little bit a little bit more in detail of what exactly for the listeners out there Partners in Care Foundation really does because I think that there's a moment where there's the aha moment that people understand that uh, it's not just about the healthcare provided by physicians and medical staff that there's a very large percentage of social care that's responsible for costs in our nation. Can you describe a little bit more of what you do? Sure, I'd love to. Um, as uh, it's it's important to surround healthcare, which is what almost 20% of the gross national product, a major investment we make with our our resources in this country. Uh, but often, uh, maybe not so much in your case, because your practice is pioneering and creating more continuity and a much broader set of interventions. But still, you know, health doesn't happen by appointment. Uh, it doesn't happen on schedule, and it doesn't only happen in settings. And you make big investments in settings, and you set people out on their own. And they often don't understand what to do. So we're, we are building capacity a- across our state and helping other states build capacity as well uh, to help people at these critical junctures. There's a lot of models that have now had a lot of research and we can see that they work. So it's building a delivery system for these augmenting resources, if you will. Most physicians know there's things their patients need, but they're not things that medicine is, has the time, the skill, or, or the financing to do. So uh, building that out so that it's available, so the physician can identify and connect patients to these complementary supplemental resources uh, so we all get a much better health result for those people, uh, that's our purpose. So we do it in several ways. One, uh, we are very interested in chronic conditions because they drive about, you guys would know better than me, what, about 90% of the costs of health care is around the chronic conditions, whether they're hypertension, chronic pain, diabetes, cardiac, uh, respiratory, COPD, uh, or chronic and progressive things like, you know, multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's. So there's, you know, so many things that people get Faced with, we like to catch people when they're an early stage of diagnosis or when they're having a significant change in condition. They're hitting a step down, if you will, in the course of these conditions. And um, there are evidence-based programs developed at Stanford, uh, developed in Maine, developed in uh, a variety of parts of the country that are have strong evidence, and they are peer-led and they're designed to help people not just learn what they should do to manage their health, because we all know, eat right, move around, take your meds right, talk to your doctor timely, manage your stress. Those are the pillars. But how do you get yourself to do it? You know, that's really the critical issue is how do people change their own behavior so they can get a better result. So these workshops are designed to um, help people do just that. Uh, select a path towards better health. And so we have a whole portfolio of programs, and we're installing them, if you will. We're uh, bringing shared training, shared licensure, teaching people best practices, and helping a whole range of um, organizations across the community to know how to offer these to be um, equipped 
and then a, a physician, nurse practitioner can link a person to a local resource um, easily. So um, we have built out a network of these agencies. Some of them are big, like Dignity has uh, some of these programs across their system. Uh, some are small. We're just starting to work with parks and recreation across California. They have uh, 14,000 sites, and they they have space, they have staff, and they do programming. Their programming should drive better health. So we're working with cities, we're working with senior centers, we're working with hospitals, and sometimes, like, we're just now starting a project with Cedars Medical Group that is going to uh, offer some new programs that help people um, master specific components of self-care. might be a program to manage chronic pain with uh, not with medicines, but with uh, other kinds of interventions, um, managing arthritis with walking programs. So that's capacity building is what we call it. Then um, we have other kinds of things that we do, but I don't know if you have questions about that part before I briefly describe the others. Uh, well, one one follow-up question that, I had. Uh, oh, I just had one follow-up question is performance. I know that we've spoken in the past about the performance of Partners in Care. Can you enlighten the audience about how the performance has been for uh, all the programs and how they relate to cost and quality of care? You bet. Uh, these kinds of programs uh, that we um, do contract out to some health plans uh, do drive uh, quality scores for those uh, organizations because they help them engage people uh, beyond just the typical uh, medical interventions, but they uh, are also financially successful. So uh, if a if, uh, health plan invests in an individual uh, or a physician group even invests in an individual taking one of these workshops, then there's very nice evidence that shows that there's uh, it's much less costly for the individual's care over time if they get a grip on the things that go wrong. Let's say it's a diabetic and uh, they're able to manage their diet, their medications, and their physical activity and stay in touch with their doctor. If you invest $300 in this workshop but you save $1,200 in their care over the year ahead, uh, you have a, a terrifically sustainable uh, result. And uh, people find that these um, these programs do things like uh, we had a union group. We taught the union group how to help the uh, the food service workers and the hotel maids to uh, take these programs and uh, taught the shop stewards how to teach them, lead them. So they had significant reductions in blood pressure. They had drops in their blood sugar, their A1C. They had levels of depression that improved. They increased their physical activity. They lost weight. Uh, so they had very measurable health results, but they also uh, then, because their health was better, they drove down the cost of their health care as well as the suffering because usually, you know, in their case, they're going to the doctor because they're getting in trouble, so they feel bad. So they had higher energy, better mood, better spirit, and the, it costs less money to care for them. Uh, so that's the kind of results we have in this 
sector I first described. And I can talk about results in other areas if you'd like. I don't know if you have questions or comments about that one. Uh, June, um, one of the things that we always want to do, we want to we use some data information to understand uh, what's going on in, in the populations that we're serving and use that to improve things. So I guess uh, my question to you is uh, we have a lot of information on populations. We have information um, on the cost of care, and that's usually coming from the claims uh, for the services that are being provided. We have information on laboratory tests. We have information on pharmaceuticals. We may also have connectivity with the electronic health records of our various uh, doctors and our networks that take care of patients. Um, we have some opportunity to understand what's going on in the hospitals if we can. But, you know, the one thing we don't have is, and, and the thing that you start off with, is uh, so what's going on in terms of the, what's going on in the home? What are the socioeconomic and behavioral data points? that we really need to have um, to come kind of really complete that picture. Um, and how does that missing information impact our ability to optimize the health of the populations that we serve? So can you, can you talk a little bit about you know, what you do to evaluate, to collect this data? What are the key elements that you focus on? And given where we are today in terms of technology, um, what have you done? What are you looking to do uh, from a technological perspective to provide this data, you know, in real time so interventions can be done um, to provide for reducing costs, improving quality, and making the patients happy? Sure. I'd love to talk about that. Uh, well, maybe a good example is when we work with people who are coming out of the hospital. And a lot of people in traditional medicine, when they came out of the hospital, they've gotten in trouble after they left the hospital, and then they get readmitted. And then usually their second stay is longer and more expensive because they, they develop complications. But it turns out that if we identify the people at high risk of readmission, and we send out a health coach, not a clinical person, but somebody who's going to help look at the environment. Is their food, is the environment safe? Uh, is there adequate caregiver? Uh, and does the person know how to manage their care? Um, you know, we met a diabetic, and we said, do you have food? And they said, oh, no problem. I stopped at McDonald's and got a shake and fries on the way home. Well, you know that person's going to be back in the hospital very soon if they keep eating that wrong kind of diet for their condition. So we look at uh, are they able to um, function in their home? Are they able to get up and get food, move around? Uh, is their environment safe? Uh, and we particularly look at their medications and what medications do they have and do they understand them? We just had a recent incident where the patient was admitted to the hospital because they had too strong a, a dose of uh, blood pressure medication. So the doctor uh, DC'd those prescriptions 
uh, sent the patient home not realizing that the patient had more of those meds at home. The patient went home, started taking their meds, and they were back on exactly the same regimen despite best efforts of the doctor. So going to the home, sitting down, looking at all the meds, seeing if people understand why they're taking their meds, seeing if they're telling their doctor if they don't feel right taking their meds, uh, making sure we get a whole uh, inventory so we can send to a pharmacist and the physician a full and complete list of all the kinds of medications a person is taking. Because we find about 50% of the people have reportable medications issues, sometimes more, um, sometimes 60% that are that after pharmacist review checks them out, verifies that these are uh, issues the doctor needs to know about and take a step on. Maybe it's two different pills from the same kind of category, but they look different, they have different names, the person doesn't know. Maybe the person's supposed to take them several times a day, but they're a little confused, so they take them all in the morning, including their sleeping pills and three blood pressure doses. Maybe there's odd combinations because different doctors have prescribed. So medications are the, the number one driver. So when we pull all these forms of, of uh, assessment together and also identify maybe things that aren't known like depression, which drives a lot of decline, or anxiety, which drives a lot of emergency room use, we find we're able to get people back to their doctor appropriately about 15% more than otherwise, and we find that we are able to keep them out of the ER as much as 13% more than otherwise, and that we're able to reduce uh, the inappropriate readmissions to the hospital between 30 and 60 percent for the high-risk population. So a very powerful result in helping the patient feel better and do better at home uh, and helping the uh, clinical team feel very satisfied that they're, they're actually their investment of care is uh, yielding the results intended because the patient's able to understand and follow direction and have the resources needed. I don't know if those are the kind of results you're looking for. Absolutely. Uh, I think the other very big component is fragmentation in care. I think we're all very much aware that uh, our healthcare system provides, I think, a lot of good care. The problem is it's very fragmented. Yes. We have a lot of problems with the right hand knowing what the left hand is doing. And this is where the issues are. The transitions in care are ultimately what cause our system to fail. So how does Partners in Care integrate, assimilate into the healthcare system to be a seamless part of the program? We really rely on the healthcare system to identify people who either aren't showing up that should be uh, or who are showing up too often, let's say in the emergency room, or seem to have uh, results from their treatment that, that don't really make sense. And you say, why is this person going home and then they're falling? You know, we think everything's right, but then you, you go to the home and you find either a dangerous environment or very strange combinations of meds that the patient didn't report to the physician. So um, we we become an extender of a healthcare system that identifies people who need this additional intervention of a, a community specialist. So whether it's the hospital, we work with some hospitals that uh, use uh, certain 
things like the LACE criteria, which measures length of stay and uh, acuity of illness and chronic conditions and ER use. And they'll score people and say, oh, this person's at high risk. Uh, you should follow them. Or if someone has more than eight medications, they seem to be getting in trouble. Uh, then maybe someone should go and look in the home. So a, a primary care practice can do this. A managed service organization for Medi-Cal patients can uh, t take on identifying high-risk patients. Uh, a health plan case management system can identify people where they can see that that nothing is really going to substitute for going to the home and uh, identifying the key factors that you just can't get out of self-report or the medical record that are driving decline or complications uh, or risks for that patient's health results. So we, we then integrate our, our uh, findings. We're just now starting a project with Kaiser in Bakersfield, and they identify patients that they're concerned about. We go to the home and there's no home health uh, cause for a visit. There's no skilled need. Uh, there's a need for this alternative skill. We do a full assessment. We identify the problems from the social perspective. We write them into a recommended care plan to address those. We review those with the patient, make sure the patient and their family agree that these are the top issues and that these are acceptable solutions. We take that to an interdisciplinary team meeting with the medical team. They put it in their record. They, they guide us on things they want us to help the patient to better understand. And um, so we start to build out so that we're really working as a team to help uh, guide the structure for how people live at home so that it really supports good health outcomes and prevents bad health outcomes that come from uh, the wrong meds, a dangerous environment, a lack of food and water, uh, too much uh, overwhelming circumstances for a person. Oh, that's uh, that's a great a great answer, great story, June. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about how you leverage social services into uh, the mix when you're um, going in and doing these evaluations? Uh, can you say a little more about your question? Well, how do you leverage social services? Do we have you, you 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 might go into a uh, a home, do your evaluation. We have community resources, including social services. Sure. How do you how do you leverage well, how do we them, integrate them into sure. into this mix? Yeah. Depends on what model we're using. If we're keeping someone out of the nursing home, someone very frail, where you know the society pays you know, 70000 a year for the person to be there, and we're keeping them at home for maybe $5,000 a year and, and some including support from social services and nursing. There we may actually have contracts in, included in that purchase where we're uh, repairing the home, we're making sure personal care and supplies are available, and uh, we're building in mental health solutions. Perhaps someone's too frail if they have a, say, a mental health need, and we bring mental health services into the home. Maybe they need social connectedness. You know, there's new literature out noting that loneliness and social isolation are powerful and seem to result in uh, as much as seven fewer years of lifespan. So we address all those 
critical factors. When we're coming out of the hospital and we're making a very brief intervention in the post-hospital phase, or someone coming back home after being in a nursing home, we're making sure the environment is safe, that there are caregivers, that all the food and medications and resources are needed, and and then that there is a social connectedness, that the person knows how to reach out for help, that they have support, that they're not too isolated we if as they recover we we may if they're stuck in the home we may have uh uh, meals on Wheels coming and bringing them food, or we may be arranging uh, someone to come and provide private duty care or in-home supportive services that are publicly provided so that their interpersonal needs and their personal care needs are addressed. Uh, or we may help mobilize them and arrange transportation so they can actually get out, go to congregate meal setting sites, get connected with other people, have some interesting activities and things to do so that they have a reason to get up in the morning and somewhere to go. Or we might connect them with adult day health centers uh, where they would have a range of physical therapy, occupational therapy, nursing, and uh, social and nutritional activities. So uh, it depends on their capabilities and resources, how we make sure that they are connected with individuals that their mental health needs are addressed, that their activity needs are addressed, and that their nutritional and uh, medication management needs are addressed. And June, one last follow-up here to that one, and that is how, how do you see the role of ACOs uh, in enabling the goals of Partners in Care Foundation? ACOs are so important because you're really the pioneers in these transformational efforts to shape medicine. Um, you know, we have that, that bold little uh, mission statement that we want to help reshape medicine, but medicine has to reshape medicine, and we want to be a partner in that activity. Now, ACOs, as, as they have, uh, you're starting to look more broadly at who is your patient and what happens to them when they're not in the office. I know Dr. Foxman actually goes to the home, so you know a lot about what goes on there. Um, but you're in a position then to identify people who may need more in the way of social services from the community than uh, your practice really is designed to provide. So you you are the the finders, the identifiers, the triage center, if you will, that can say, who needs these other kinds of um, uh, resources if people have needs that if they're not met, uh, bad things will happen to their health and their mental health, uh, then you're the ones who can say, uh, please reach out to Mrs. Smith, to Mr. Jones, uh, and uh, help us identify them and help prepare them that there are other ways to address their health that are important partners to you and the care you give that they really should take advantage of. And then help June, us. thank you so much. I think we're, we're out of time for our out show today. So right. Obviously, there's, there's so much more to talk about. I hope you'll come back and share some of your smart thoughts and great uh, uh, ideas with us in the future and we'd like to invite you back of course but thank you so much for being with us today just a wonderful um, insights into the critical value of the social behavior of determinants of care and the wonderful work that partners in care is doing and we really appreciate it thank you so so much you're very kind thank, thank, you, thank you for your leadership 
And that'll have to be the last word for today's broadcast. I want to thank our guest, Jean Simmons, President and CEO at Partners in Care Foundation, for her time and insights. Stay current with Jean's work, as well as the Foundation's work, on Twitter via at, at partners underscore care, and on the web via www.picf.org. Finally, do follow National ACO on the web via www.nacomso.com and on Twitter via at NACOMSO. This will be our last broadcast for 2017. It's been a blast chatting with industry thought leaders from Don Crane, CEO of CAPG, to Andy Slavitt, former acting administrator of CMS during the Obama administration, and Farzad Mastashari, MD, former National Coordinator for Health IT and current CEO of ACO Management Company, Alidaid. In 2018, we can continue our journey unraveling key industry insights and best practices by top talent, including Jerry Penso, MD, CEO of the AMGA, noted author and futurist Joe Flower, DC consultant John Gorman, CEO of the Gorman Group, and clinical leadership from several next-generation ACOs. Until then, for Drs. Berger and Foxman, this is your moderator, Greg Masters, wishing you a safe, prosperous, and healthy holiday season. stairs and breaking your ankle doesn't sound good but falling down the stairs and breaking your ankle with no health insurance sounds even worse life can change in an instant be covered when it does at covered california we can help you get financial help to pay for your health plan covered california it's more than just health care it's life care visit coveredca.com today open enrollment ends january 31st